Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerd App Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except we actually have no way of knowing if you actually read the book. It is October of 2021, and our selection this month is Rika Aoki's Light from Uncommon Stars. It is a sci-fi-ish novel about violin prodigies and interstellar spaceships disguised as donut shops. Before I say any more, I want to tell you this is your spoiler warning. If you haven't read the book yet and you don't want to know what happens, go listen to our spoiler-free interview with Rika. It is in the feed. It is a lovely chat. If you haven't read the book and you do want to know what happens, or if you have read the book, congratulations, you are in the right place. I am super excited to introduce you to our guests for this month. We have Jen Northington. She's the host of Book Riot's SFF Yeah podcast and the co-editor of the amazing, inclusive Arthurian short story collection, Sword Stone Table, along with the delightful Swepna Krishna. Jen, Welcome. Hello, thank you for having me back. Oh my gosh, thanks for being on. We also have Christina Orlando. They're the books editor for Tor.com and also a freelance writer and generally excellent book person. Christina, hey. Hey, thank you so much. This is so exciting. Full disclosure, though, um, this book was published by Tor. You work for Tor.com. There is no editorial overlap, right? Yes, that's true. Perfect. Okay, so this book is sort of about three main characters. They're all queer women of color. We have Katrina. She's a trans runaway who is very good at the violin. We've got Shizuka, who is a violin teacher who has made a deal with the devil. And then there is Lon, an interstellar refugee who runs the spaceship that is disguised as a donut shop, which is definitely one of my favorite elements (laughs) of this book. Um, The action takes place largely in Southern California. Uh, Let's... Let's like kind of leave it at that for now. Before we dive into our conversation, I think we should start with a voicemail. Actually, this is Annalisa in Massachusetts. I am about to go into work and I have a headache and I'm super tired because I had to stay up and finish this book last (laughs) night. I enjoyed it so much. It was every genre rolled into one. The discussion about music really resonates with me as a lover of music and a former singer. And I cannot wait for the next book in this universe. I just love that voicemail so much, partly because of how cranky she sounded. (laughs) (laughs) Annalisa, I am so sorry, but I totally get it. Listen, I had a very similar experience. Did you? I think I was up till 3 a.m. finishing this one because I finished it in like two days. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, I don't know, though. I think Annalisa brings up a really interesting point, which is the whole thing around, like, the the genre mishmash aspect of this book. I mean, I called it sci-fi-ish in the intro. I mean, it has, like, a spaceship. I think we can fairly call it sci-fi. But it is such a different, like, such a fascinating kind of combination of tropes and notions. I mean, I don't know. Like, what what genre would you call it, Jen? 
Well, I, so I have a reading spreadsheet that I've been keeping since like 2012. Mm, And I do have a science fantasy genre in my reading spreadsheet because it doesn't happen that often. But every now and then you get a book where, yeah, the writer is like, you know what? I'm going to put some chocolate and peanut butter together. Yeah. There is a devil. There are also spaceships. Yeah. There's, yeah, right. There's, I think there's arguably magic in this book as well as spaceships and interstellar travel and, you know, donut science. So like, I'm perfectly happy to call it science fantasy personally. What do you think, Christina? I also have a big reading spreadsheet, (laughs) just in case you were wondering what kind of book nerds you were talking to. Excellent. Um, I have it under genre bending. I am Mm. one of those people that uh, really doesn't love genre delineations. I... I like the idea of speculative fiction being sort of the big umbrella header and then Mm -hmm. divisions underneath that are like fairly arbitrary. Um, So I'm happy with it just being whatever it wants to be. It's speculative and yeah, that's fine for me. I love that. I think that's really fun. For the record, I don't have a spreadsheet, but I do have a little book <laughs> that I've been keeping since 2013. Do we need to convert you to the spreadsheet life? Can I tell you about Airtable? I really like the analog. <laughs> that's another conversation, I think, Christina. But I don't know. I mean, I do think this book is really interesting because, I mean, in a lot of ways, you could call it a space opera, right? Like, I think mm-hmm. it is paying, like, homage to a lot of sci-fi tropes that we're all really familiar with that generally are you know super like cis white male spaces Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and i think partly what makes this book such a treat is that it is extremely centered around queer women of color i do think also that when we're talking about speculative fiction by writers of color there's always going to be an element of breaking the rules and always going to be an element of going beyond what we as a society understand as genre boundaries simply because those boundaries were not made Mm -hmm. with people of color in mind yeah i I don't know it's been so refreshing too i think especially over the last like i don't even know like fill in the blank number of years it's just been really cool to see how much things have shifted in this space you know for sure i did a big conversation at the end of 2019 with a couple of the writers from tour.com and if you look at bestseller lists or recommendation lists or whatever, you can see a big shift happen around 2016, 2017. Nice. And yeah. it's like a remarkable difference. It's honestly my favorite thing to see. Because, yeah, it does seem still fairly yeah. recent and it is just like thrilling. Yeah. I listened to the interview you did with Mm. Rika, which Mm -hmm. was so good, so interesting. I love her. Yeah, and I loved how she talked about being like she herself has different books that yes. she is mm. her different yes. you know she's a, you know, she's a queer woman she's a trans woman she's a woman of color like she exists in this world in all of these different ways she's a musician she's an artist she's a writer like she herself is many books yeah. and bringing as many of those books together into this book was part of her goal and I just I like I want all of that forever and ever <laughs> I want more of that yeah, I loved that too. I also thought like the 
the way she described as a writer sort of like that she gets to choose how to crop the images yes you know mm. yes and that there are like different other characters could be the main characters of their own stories mm-hmm. i just thought was also just so gorgeous it's like oh you're a poet you know yeah well and i think you see that in the perspective shifts right because yes. we get perspectives i was not expecting i mean mm-hmm. largely right we do have the three main characters right shizuka mm-hmm. Katrina and Lan, but there are also other characters who get POV moments that, you know, some other authors might not have given them. And and it's so it's so cool to see this like sort of kaleidoscopic perspective. And I do yeah. think it's very difficult for writers to do that without it feeling like extreme like uh like extra content. Like mm-hmm. it could have been cut out. I think in this book, none of that could have been cut out. It really fits so seamlessly into the rest of the story when there are those perspective shifts. That's a really good point. It's interesting because I do think that was maybe my one sort of like, I qualm isn't quite the right word, but like it was interesting to try this initially in audio form and oh. realize that there were so many shifting perspectives that it was a little disorienting because it could happen. I mean, there's like barely a line break in yeah. some of these shifts. Yeah. yeah, And I think especially having talked to her and hearing about like her own perspective as a person who does have to sort of like wear so many different hats in any given day, it made a lot of sense. And I thought it was really beautiful. And, you know, it took like I probably read 30 pages and then was sort of like, OK, I get what's happening. I, and I was able to go back to the audio version. But I, w- I was curious if either of you ever found it disorienting or if you were just like there for it. I was there for it. I think I, (laughs) and obviously like I, I read this uh, as a physical book. So maybe Mm -hmm. having that delineation, having like chapter headings is a little bit easier to Mm -hmm. sort of parse that out. But I also, as a queer person of color, as a non-binary person, I understand Mm -hmm. the way that you need to shift identity. You need to shift perspective Mm. for a given moment or a certain situation or when you're talking to different kinds of people. So that felt very natural to me. I just like, I understand why marginalized authors do that and why everything is in that liminal space. Right. No, that's beautiful. And it makes sense because it's like, wait, who drew these lines? Like this, this is all arbitrary, right? Yeah, exactly. It's again, going back to marginalized authors in general and Rika, especially doing it so beautifully here, just breaking the rules and saying, um, I'm not gonna have it be every other chapter, like every other book that you've read, I'm going to do something different. Mm -hmm. Well, I think also there's like an implied faith that readers can keep up, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, and we can, and it's like, and it's worth the maybe extra effort, you know? Yeah, there are some books that sort of teach you how to read them as you go along if you don't immediately click with it for whatever reason. And I've definitely had that experience with other books. I I also read this one uh, um, digitally as opposed to listening to it. And Mm. I can I can absolutely imagine having a similar experience of of not being able to track, especially because I I absorb audio information really poorly in the first (laughs) place, which is why I don't (laughs) listen to audiobooks very often. So Um, but I do think that you know, when the author is crafting it deliberately and thoughtfully the way that Aoki is doing it here, yes. it does you eventually like it clicks at a certain point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what else do you think makes this book stand out so much? What about for you, Christina? Oh, God. <laughs> Where do I start? Honestly, I I like that there's not one thing that I can put my finger on that's like mm. that was the element that 
really drew me in. It was a very holistic experience. It was a very immersive experience. And I emerged from that. And the only thought in my head was, this is one of the best books I've read in my whole life. Mm. And I have read a lot of things and a lot of really wonderful things. This uh, shot to the top of my list. And I can't explain exactly how. I think it's a combination of having transness talked about in a way that wasn't super identity focused. It was, Mm. it felt very much like this is just the experience. It is Mm -hmm. not uh, meant to be viewed as tragic or, you know, particularly like uh, indulgent in that way that we see sometimes a trans experience being portrayed. It is just sort of, here's what happened. And other things are also happening. It is not Katrina's entire identity within the context of the book. Mm. And that's really lovely to see. I also uh, love a bad bitch. And Shizuka is <laughs> very much a bad bitch. The first scene is her like walking in with her high heels yes. and her sunglasses yeah. on. And I was like, um, mommy, sorry, okay. mommy, sorry. Um <laughs> I'm sorry for the way that I am, but I didn't know a lot about where it was going to go. I had heard really good things from my colleagues. I trust the editor. She's also done wonderful things in the past that I loved. Um, And I knew that it was sort of categorized in that general hope punk sort of umbrella. But other than that, I didn't know what was going to happen. Did you just say hope punk? Yeah, hope punk. I have not heard that term before. Oh, Can you all right, let's dig into it. Delighted. Yes. <laughs> so, Hope Punk. Uh, I don't know if it was coined by Alexandra Wolin, but Alexandra Wolin has a beautiful uh, Tumblr post explaining this term that has come to sort of the forefront of the genre within the past couple of years, and it mm-hmm. is about narratives being hopeful at the end. And not necessarily uh, utopian in any way or happy. Exactly. It's about hope as a weapon, hope being the driving force within a narrative and positivity being the driving force rather than animosity. That's gorgeous. Yes. So what are some stuff that people have read that probably are in that genre or category, even if they hadn't known? I'm thinking about like Becky Chambers probably, right? Becky Chambers is up there. Uh, TJ Klune's books yes. are up there mm-hmm. um who do we talk about when we talk about hope punk mike chen oh yeah also i'd put on that list what is his newest book we could be heroes is that what it's called? we could be heroes is so good um that was a great book jen help me out here yeah yeah there's a great uh short story collection that is specifically hope punk stories called hmm. glass gardens and oh yeah i I love that as an intro to Hope Punk because the thing you can do with a short story anthology collection is that you can showcase all of these different ways that people are doing a theme. And the stories are so different. There's a murder mystery. There's sci-fi. There's like historical fantasy-ish stuff. I mean, there's just a billion different versions of it. But you get to see like, yeah, what does it look like when hope is the driving force, as Christina said? And I do think it's especially uh, drawing readers from marginalized backgrounds and especially queer readers to that kind of genre because we're so used to seeing characters who are marginalized end up dead or end up being the butt of the joke or end up being tragic 
and it's just like tragedy porn the whole time. So Mm -hmm. I think a lot of queer writers, especially are being drawn to these narratives that are hopeful and that have not necessarily happy endings for everyone, but you feel like things are eventually going to work out and be okay. And it's Mm -hmm. very helpful for readers to feel taken care of in that way. Yeah. Well, and I think there's that like that element of like a chosen family can be so heartwarming, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like it's just it's the sweet. And I think you see that in this book, too. Right. Like there's just like it was funny, even as I was talking to Rika, like I kept using the word sweet and it was like, Greta, I'm sure you could come up with better like (laughs) synonyms for but they're uh, like, I think literally with the donuts, but also just throughout like there's just such a sweetness. And that doesn't mean that hard things don't happen, but it's just so sweet. Yeah. And I felt very much like sometimes you read books and there's one or two characters you're really drawn to and you sort of fall in love with them and they're given a lot of emphasis here. I was kind of in love with all of them. Yes. (laughs) And I was just like, these are my babies and I want them to be happy and I just want them to love each other and be taken care of. hundred (laughs) percent. Oh, that's so sweet. Let's listen to another voicemail. Here is Liz in Minnesota. I was not expecting to enjoy it. Like I went in really kind of irritated about it. But let me just say that I did not think I would like such a genre mashup so much. Um, I'm already thinking about how I'm putting it on my husband's side for him to read. And then uh, whatever friends haven't read it yet, I'm just going to start sending it around to them. The conversation, and I don't remember exactly where it is, but there's a conversation about the flavor profiles of the donuts and how they have to do all of this like scientific calculations for the reproduction of the donuts and the flavors. My husband is having the exact same conversation about the flavors of beer and what is and is not selling in his brewery. And I think currently that is just kind of my favorite part about this book. It's far-fetched in some of its aspects, but yet it is so tied to events and personal experiences and the way that we all live our lives and things that are important in the current moment. So delightful. I also love hearing stories about people recommending this book, especially to all of their friends, because I, mm. I I recommend books generally to the internet quite a lot, but I don't always do a lot of like hand selling, for lack of a better mm. phrase. And this one, I'm like, everybody in my life has to read this. Right. I will buy a whole bunch and wrap them up for Christmas. Yes. <laughs> well, and the donut thing I think is really lovely also because like, at least my interpretation of that was sort of like, if you make something off of a template and it's just the same exact thing every time, mm. like that sounds appealing at first, but right. it's actually like, it is the imperfection that makes it what it is, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, that's what we should all be looking for really. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of a metaphor for the characters' experiences, too, right? Like, Mm. you don't want to just be the next classical virtuoso violinist, right? Katrina (laughs) is her really sweet spot is in electronic music and video game music. And she's not the same flavor that has been replicated over and over, either even in Shizuka's protégés, right? So. And then you see all of these other characters like, yeah, I don't have to be this thing. Like, I don't have to be the woman who sold my soul. I don't have to be whatever it is. And that's that's so beautiful. Oh, that's so well put, too. Yeah. The music thing reminds us of another voicemail we got. Let's listen to Rachel. Oh, my God. I loved this book. (laughs) I loved it for all of the things. And there's like way too much. So my husband 
learned how to play piano over the pandemic uh, via YouTube. And so the whole conversation about what you can learn through that medium and what you need a teacher for, I thought was super relevant in my mm. personal life. We're both musicians, but play different instruments. I took piano lessons for years, but he has a natural ear for being able to play and compose. And he's always struggled with teachers and it was really nice for him to be able to teach himself. And he kind of had not a lot else to do, you know, <laughs> during a pandemic. So it was the perfect timing. And the conversation about music and hell and greatness and sacrifice. And that is not even, you know, half of what this book is about. But ugh, I just loved it. I really love the ongoing theme, at least this month of like listeners talking to their partners about this <laughs> yes. book. I think that's really fun. It's so cute. And she brought up an interesting point, which is, uh, you know, our relationship with teachers and the relationship mm. between Katrina and oh. Shizuka mm. in this book, because it, at the start of it, Shizuka is, uh, again, a boss bitch <laughs> and so wonderful. But at the end, it really feels like maybe Katrina also took on a bit of a teacher role mm. and they, that uh, sort of mentorship and that exchange of knowledge and ideas was very mutual mm -hmm. um and it's, it's so lovely to watch the progression of those two characters together yeah and just to go back to the the music for a bit i found myself mm. craving a playlist like all i wanted oh, yeah was a playlist curated by aoki uh, that had like you know both the classical and the electronic because I, I do love video games, but I don't play them very often. Mm -hmm. But I did have this like almost sense memory, as it were, from yes. being around video games that I um. could almost like hear some of those. I might just make one for myself because I, I need to hear it. I need to hear it. Yeah. It's so this is such a sensory experience. Like, Christina, you were saying mm -hmm. how holistic the book was and how immersive. And yeah, it's yes. like you hear it, you feel it, you taste it. You are there yeah. in the environment, in the physicality of the characters. Like everything about this book is a sensory experience. Mm -hmm. And I just that's one of my favorite things about it. Yeah, that's such a good way of putting that. And it actually speaks perfectly to a like extra bonus piece. Yes, voicemail that we got also from Rachel. P.S. This book also made me very hungry. <laughs> right? Accurate. Oh, it's accurate. It do be like that sometimes. <laughs> that description of miso soup early on. Oh, just God. Like, oh, my God. It's, it's yeah. so indulgent. And I think a lot of this mm. narrative is so indulgent and not in a selfish way, but just in mm. a, these are the things that I enjoy these are the things that make me happy and I'm gonna mm -hmm. spend three pages talking about <laughs> yes. it and you're welcome yeah exactly <laughs> and I love that I'm so happy yeah, yeah super here for it all right more on light from uncommon stars in just a minute nerdette is supported by the sympathizer podcast from HBO join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast crew and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org events.
Okay, so something we've sort of talked around, but that I would really love to dive into a little bit is Shizuka a little more. I think mm. she's such an interesting character. As you point out, Christina, she's definitely a bad bitch. But I mean, she's also like she has made some very I mean, like she is responsible for the deaths of people. Right. And and she's obviously super complicated. And I I don't know. I thought kind of the conversation that Rika ends up having around like the fact that human beings are imperfect and that we do make mistakes and that we should be allowed to make mistakes, but still be held accountable for them, but maybe not be redeemed. I Like, I don't know. I just thought that was really gorgeous. I was curious what y'all thought about that. I think to me, the main thing to think about is growth because mm-hmm. The deal that Shizuka made, she made very early on in her life, maybe at a time when she felt capable of harvesting all those souls and felt like it was the sacrifice that was worth it to make. Um, And then she grows out of it and she starts to think maybe this isn't the right path. Maybe this isn't the right thing to do. Maybe it's not serving me anymore. That to me is the narrative that draws me in for her character. Yeah. What do you think, Jen? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so hard to hold in our heads and in our hearts that people are both as good as and as bad as their actions and Mm. that all of us have all of those things in us. And some of us have had more opportunities to go in one direction than another or more incentive to go in one direction or another. And like you said, you know, you have to be accountable for those things that it, it, you can't erase the harm that you've done. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you can't also do good and and do uh, beautiful things. And so or like become, as as Christy said, grow out of those harmful whatevers. Yeah. And I, I think especially when you get to the end of Shizuka's story, because yes. I, I spent the whole book being like, how? How are we going to get out of this? Like, is it even possible for her to get out of this? Like, I don't yeah. see how it's going to happen. And so to to get to the ending that we get to mm. is so powerful and yeah. so beautiful. And, and to see that, like, the way that Shizuka is going to go about and do good things in her future. Oh man, I just like can't, I can't handle it. And now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think I would have been mad if the ending had been Katrina's soul gets harvested. Really? I don't think I would have been mad about that because within the context of the narrative, there's still so much to hang on to and so much growth that happens and so hmm. so much like relationship dynamics that are there. Hmm. And I think it, there was there would be a way to do it where everyone felt okay with what was about to happen and everyone was hmm. at peace with it. Well, I think it plays into Katrina's agency, hmm. right? Like, as you said, you yeah. know, Katrina has her eyes open. She understands what's going on about halfway through right. the Right, she book. makes that choice. Yeah. yeah, and she continues to make choices every step along the way. It's not happening to her. She is a, true. She's a part of the story. She's steering her own ship. She is making choices. Mm-hmm. And those choices could have gone a lot of different ways. Like, I think, I think you're probably right. I think there's absolutely a book where those choices went in a different direction, and it still felt really satisfying and potentially very hopeful. If any Anybody could pull that off, I mean, <laughs> no. that it would be 
Rikaoki. I don't know. I, I don't know how, but I believe it because, you know, she pulled this other option off and, and I love that. So. <laughs> so I actually asked Rika one spoilery question when I had her on the show that we could save for this conversation. And it was around the idea of redemption, especially in the context of uh, Shizuka and kind of how that story ends. So let's take a listen to Rika. They spoke of their sins. I spoke of mine. You know, after playing the Handel at the end, Shizuka is no, isn't redeemed, and the universe isn't really saved from the end plague. But what it becomes is the source of constant music. Uh, what happens is, I have been through relationships where I have done, I have had horrible things done to me, and I have done horrible things. We've all been through relationships and times that we wish that we could relive, but we can never relive them. Does that mean we don't get a chance at somehow making tomorrow better anyway? And it doesn't erase what we did, but maybe we can use our experiences to relate to others, to play our music, and to, you know, rewrite our song in a way that uses it not as the finale, but as a movement and, and a harbinger of things to come. Like, oh my God, she's so good. I'm so in love with her. Not in like a creepy way, but like, (laughs) oh my God. Yeah, man. I just want to like sit in that. I love thinking about it as a movement. Mm -hmm. And all of this is just one piece of the puzzle. And you do at the end of it, get the sense that these characters go on and there's a big life outside of the context of a novel. Yeah, And I love feeling that way. And I, I really, I love that concept. It is really fun to think about how expansive it ends up being. Like it is so much, it's it's so easy to picture so many elements beyond what the book is even about, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just sort of letting that soak know, in. <laughs> this is one of the reasons I was, I also loved in the author interview when uh, Rika talks about how she is writing in the same shared universe and that a previous yes. book was, was yeah. going to be tied in and the next book would be and I was just like great because this mm-hmm. it is one of those books that you know feels bigger on the inside right and yeah I'm so excited it to, is a TARDIS of a book it is it is it's so exciting to get to play more in this world that she's built uh I, I yeah. can't wait personally like Rika fuck me up I'm ready for it like whatever <laughs> <laughs> okay we've got one more voicemail here is Julia from Southern California I found it to be such a fun ride and a wacky mixed genre story that's actually also beautifully rich with insight about so many different types of identities. There's this trans story, but we also have a very true portrayal of young adult poverty that I really appreciated. Um, We also get all these celebrities hidden in plain sight, these violin prodigies who are really only recognized by the music world. But the public passing them by would never have any idea that they were so special. And then the generational pride and burdens um, that we see throughout several of the families, for example, the Luthiers. And lastly, we get a bonus romance. This book so far has everything. I'm about halfway through. I can't wait to finish the rest. Julia, you have such a great ride ahead of you, too. (laughs) You know, I love thinking about it that way as this like, There's so many overlapping experiences and all of Mm -hmm. them are honest. All of them are explored thoroughly. I never felt like um, the trans experience or the experience of poverty or the experience of being Asian American um, or the experience of being part of the diaspora is like Mm -hmm. none of those things were 
pushed aside in favor of anything else. Mm. All of them have equal weight because that's what people are. All of those Mm -hmm. things exist within even a single person or, you know, groups of people. So I, I love that there was attention paid to everything and nothing was sort of taken for granted. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think speaking of the idea of diaspora, I mean, I think this book is such a beautiful kind of poem also about the refugee experience, you know, and I think, Absolutely. I mean, is it the last, it is the last scene in the book, right? Where yeah. mm-hmm. at the donut shop, they hire an undocumented woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that idea of like, oh, you're here with your family. I know what that's like. Like, I'm going to tear up just saying like, mm-hmm. it was just so beautiful. It's interesting to me because alien stories for the most part are about colonialism. Mm-hmm. First contact stories, especially are always mm-hmm. about colonialism in some way. And so sure. to see those types of stories and to see to see an alien uh, taken out of that narrative and looked at from a different perspective and looked at from the perspective of um, immigration or, you know, being part of the diaspora or, you know, what have you is so special. And I mm-hmm. love seeing authors of color sort of reclaiming that narrative. It's gorgeous. So um, before I let y'all go, I'm going to do a really annoying thing and ask you to rate this book. Uh, We are going to do a completely arbitrary rating system. And this time, I think we got to do Alaska Donuts. Because (laughs) as a person who grew up in Alaska, I was especially delighted that the Alaska Donuts are twice the size of the Texas Donuts. Because I think that's really important for people to know. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, let's just do one to 10. I know it's obnoxious and arbitrary, but, um, Jen, how many Alaska donuts would you give this book? Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it's a solid 10 Alaska donuts. (laughs) It's, it's, it's gonna, it's, I called it as one of my favorite books of the year, if not my actual favorite, because I haven't finished Mm -hmm. reading books yet this year. So, you know, you never know, (laughs) but it's absolutely at the very top of the list. Oh, that's so sweet. What about you, Christina? I, I'm sorry. I'm such a sucker for this book. It really did just like capture my heart and uh, has a very tight hold on it. So it's like a 12 million Alaska donuts (laughs) for me. (laughs) Uh, I just, I just really loved it. And it's one of those reading experiences. Like I said earlier, I can't really define why it was maybe just, I was in the right headspace at the right time. Um, Mm -hmm. I was feeling very connected to it, but it just really got me. I I think so many readers are going to feel so seen and so Mm. held and recognized by this book. I I really I mean, I I don't share, obviously, every identity piece, you know, with these characters or with the author. But I absolutely there were moments where I was just like, this is this is a piece of my story. And and then there were other pieces where I was like, oh, like this is a piece of a friend's story or a loved one's story. Mm -hmm. Like there's there's so many important pieces in here. And I I do think that so many readers will feel that if and when they pick it up. Yeah. Well, and I think you're right, too, that there's just such a tenderness to it. Mm -hmm. That just and and that's not you know, I mean, I don't think Rika necessarily like holds punches either. Right. No, no. But it just, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I'm really glad to have that freezing hope punk because I feel like that says a lot. 
I like also thinking about it as people are, readers are held by this because you do feel safe. You yeah. trust Riga. She's very smart and she, yeah. you know, is going to take you along this ride in a way that feels validating. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, it's so precious. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So before I let you go, I mean, we did talk about Hope Punk books a little bit earlier, but I'm curious, we could even expand out beyond that. Like, for listeners who read this book and, you know, like Liz, maybe who were initially annoyed, but we're very <laughs> glad to have gone on this journey. Um, what would might you recommend to someone that is similar to this one? And I mean that in an expansive as a way as possible. So like that could be in terms of like a character or like a book about miso soup or a character you really loved or a general vibe or like really anything at all, but something that you think you know, someone else might connect with similarly if they really did enjoy this one. Uh, Christina, what do you think? I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm super mad at myself because I've been staring at my bookshelves thinking about this (laughs) and I was unable to think of a book by an author of color. I really would have loved to give Mm -hmm. another recommendation Mm -hmm. by a queer author of color. My, my feeling is the Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern. Mm. And I can't really explain that except for like vibes. It's just sure. like similar it's vibes. It's yeah, it's cozy. There's a lot about art. There's a lot of hope. There's definitely an element of queerness and queer adventure and mentorship. Um, and it just is like vibes. Yeah. Vibes. That's a good one. <laughs> Jen, what do you think? Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit here because I can't not mention that when Katrina gets her studio, I was mm. like having extreme gem and the holograms mm. <laughs> vibes from that. And so I have to shout out the comics run by Kelly Thompson and Sophie Campbell that started not too long ago and is like the beautiful, inclusive in all of the ways reboot of gem that we all deserve cool. in our lives so, so good yeah it's it's amazing so i need to i need to shout that out uh and then bookwise yeah it, this was a tough it's a tough thing because it is a singular reading experience by design and so you're not gonna like it's not gonna be a read alike situation i think it mm-hmm. is all about vibes uh and so my vibe pick is uh, The <laughs> Affair of the Mysterious Letter by Alexis Hall, Ooh. because it, too, is like a very mashy, genre bendy, you know, situation. It's a Sherlock Holmes retelling, but it's also like a queer, inclusive, racially inclusive Lovecraft. And it's got sci-fi and it's got fantasy and it's got wow. horror. Okay, and cool. it's just got all of these things going on. And the characters... Their traumas are held gently and it's not Mm -hmm. about their identities or what they've been through. It's about what they're doing in these moments and the adventures Mm -hmm. that they're having. And they punch sharks and like they deal with (laughs) mad gods. And it's just it's an absolute madcap whirlwind of a book in the same way Mm -hmm. that uh, Light from Uncommon Stars is. So I think that, yeah, that's that's my vibe match. Beautiful. I love it. Mine is um, Becky Chambers' latest book, which is not part of the Wayfarer series, which yes. we kind of mentioned earlier. It's yes! yes. <laughs> and it's little. It's a novella. But um, I, don't, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why it's similar. I mean, they're both kind of adventure stories, though I think Wild Built is a little... Well, I don't know. In some ways, it's more expansive in scope. 
But I mean, partly why I love it is because there are two really lovely main characters and neither of them use gendered pronouns. But like, even beyond that, I just think it's, it's a book that that explores the human condition and makes you feel really good about it by the end which I think especially these days we could just all use more of right is like what do we really want what do we really need who are we in this world what can we do for each other I just think you know can feel like really exhausting and overwhelming questions but the way Becky tackled them it's just like a big hug and I just feel like you know, we could all use more hugs these days. More hugs. More hugs. More vibes. <laughs> more vibes. More vibes. Christina, Jen, thank you both so much for chatting with me about this beautiful book. It was so much fun to talk with you. It was wonderful. Thank you. So much fun. that's it for this month's book club discussion of light from uncommon stars i hope you enjoyed it and i am very excited to tell you about our november selection it is sarah mclean's bombshell it is the first book in the hell's bells series the main character is someone called cecily whose nickname around town is sexily this is a delightful book you could even call it a romp And I can't wait to hear what you think about it. Come back next week on Tuesday the 2nd to hear a spoiler-free chat with the author. And then, of course, read the book. Send us your thoughts. You can do that by recording yourself on your smartphone and then emailing the file to nerdappodcast at gmail.com. And then tune in for our book discussion on Tuesday, November 30th. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. We will see you on Friday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.